0: Hello. Welcome to the second edition of Graphic Policy Radio this week, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is the show for folks who notice that DraftAlgore.com redirects to a certain website that I don't know does this podcast. Uh, we've got a special <laughs> return guest. It's true. Right now, uh, DraftAlgore goes to DraftPolicy.com. Um, we've got a special guest on this special episode uh, here to talk his upcoming comic from Image. We've got writer Steve. Uh, but before we introduce Steve, let me first welcome my co-host, Alana. Alana happening
1: well you know i've been reading midnighter of course and i have noticed that he's still dating that banker and i'm not sure how i feel about bankers so it doesn't work out with him i actually have a friend i'd like to set him up with who works in a labor union he's a really awesome organizer i mean i'd have to break the fourth wall but we're doing that a lot in comics now so it should be pretty acceptable by this point point. <laughs> and
0: hey, people already uh, know
2: midnighter's head roles, so let's dive in
0: Uh, so, uh, speaking of Midnighter, so we've got Steve Orlando, um, he's one of the hottest writers out there right now, uh, he has done, here's called Undertow, which he was on the show about a while ago to discuss, um, he does Midnighter, which we've just riffed off of for DC Comics, um, one of the hottest, uh, comics coming out of their DCU, um, Uh, Movement, And then in September, he has a new creator-owned series called Virgil that actually started off as a Kickstarter project that's coming out from Image Comics that was announced this year's Image Expo. Steve, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you.
2: Hey, uh, it is is great to be back.
0: So, um, the first question I'm sure we probably asked you on the last show, for those who might have missed that, folks should listen. Um the first question that I like to ask is uh, how did you get into the uh comic industry?
2: Well, my story is uh one of a, like a 16-year overnight success. So it, it is uh, it is uh long and the the, the but the answer is um Ever since I was 14, I've been I've been going to comic cons and trying to get work in comics. So I'm actually turning 30 tomorrow. So I've been trying to make uh, I've been tr- I've been trying to make comics longer than I haven't been trying to make comics. And from the start, you know, when I was when I was when I was, you know, but a wee mid-pubescent lad, uh, I met I met the guys at Man of Action. Um, now people no- known by normal people as the creators of Big Hero 6. And even though I was young and fragile, uh, they said, um, you know they saw something in me uh, and, and said, "Well, you know if you want to make comics, uh, if, you want, if you want a comic to be your job, you have to treat it like one. And so you have to write every single day." And so I've been doing that since then. and, and I've never and it's taken sixteen years uh, or more of producing books, many of which were quite bad uh, to uh, to finally get to the spot couple years ago, where I was producing professional-level work. And there was a lot of bad stuff in between. Let's be clear, when I was younger, I made a comic book featuring a super-powered version of the Pillsbury Doughboy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound bad. That sounds hilarious.
2: Uh, Well, the startling thing is that even back then, I was somehow aware of trademark law and copyright. So I called him Clone Dough. And so he was actually like as if the Pillsbury Doughboy had budded and, like, formed another Doughboy that was for legal legal reasons unrelated to the Pillsbury Doughboy. Uh, Anyway, I knew a lot about copyright law for a 12-year-old, but as you can see, the seeds were there uh, to make comics.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Understanding copyright law and understanding comics are actually a skill set that it's important to share, you know?
2: uh it's been working out but yeah that's that's the truth you know like the, the the way that i got into comics was by just finding collaborators and making comics and for a long time they were bad and then they got better and uh marginally and then they got better a little more and uh we finally got to the spot where i had something where the man of action guy said you know this is this is publishable and and we'll put it in front of the right people and that's how Undertow had an image, which uh, kicked off uh, where we are now.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So sounds, we're here. Oh, go ahead, Alana. Sorry. No, sorry for getting you You going
1: to say what I was going to say. <laughs> it no, sounds go like... Um, <laughs> God, I apologize, people. It's, it's a Thursday. That's my excuse. Um, so uh, it, it sounds like, you know... You've been working on uh, virtual for a while. It actually seems like the genesis for that uh, is going a while back. Um, do you want to talk about uh, why you were doing it via, like, I guess first off, about what, how you would define the story and what's the story about, and then talk a little bit about how you decided to do it as a Kickstarter.
2: Well, the story is uh, it's a, it's a queer exploitation graphic novel. Uh, you know, it's, it's about an outed cop fighting his way across the his precinct of, uh, across Jamaica against the precinct that betrayed him to rescue his man uh, and get to safety. And the genesis of it, I mean, the genesis of the project was actually the desire to work with JD Faith. We had been in uh, an anthology called the Nobody's Volume Two together, uh, with and, and the anthology's point was to uh, create something that would be published so you could show it to publishers and maybe give a little more work and a little more buzz. So it worked because when I got like, we got our comp copies of the anthology, we were like, wow, these guys are pretty good uh, talking about each other, and decided we were going to create something together. And so we knew we wanted to work together. The question was just what? And and J.D. was really into this idea of neon noir, uh, mm. and, and I was really into this idea Uh, of of doing genre but injecting it with with queer themes, you know, like uh, Life with Kevin Keller and Kevin Keller in general had just debuted, and I was like, whoa, you know, like, hey, this this is something I wish I was doing. I wish I thought of it. Like, what's more dogmatic than Archie? And yet here we have, like, no bones about it, no second-guessing, just bold gay Archie stories. And if we can do that, we can do that in other genres. And so, you know, I I looked at myself, and I said, well, yeah, I'm not really good at, I'm not really good at writing stories about people, like, arguing over the drapes, or, like, you know, like, what color the prom sign is going to be, but I can write about people hitting other people in the face, and so we (laughs) need to find a that fits me. And uh, that's when J.D. came in with Neon Noir, and I was like, hold the phone, it's going to be queer it's going to be gay neon noir and and that's where we sort of started on that idea at the same time i had seen django and chain uh recently and i i was really bothered by the marketing plan for that movie i mean which was just a just an exciting revenge sort of exploitation inspired thriller obviously uh and but like at the time like it was like oh tarantino's most edgy movie yet not really, like because Quentin's last two movies were summed up by the ideas Nazis are bad and racism is bad, neither of which are, like, earth-shaking ideas. Anyone who's on a complete sludge would agree with those ideas. So I walked out of the movie and being like, well, you know, if, if, if Tarantino had balls, he would have made Django gay. That would have actually pissed people off. And so I was, so like, sitting at this, like, uh, you know, like yoga and latte, mom theater outside of Albany, and uh, was like, "Well, why am I waiting for someone else to fucking do this? I'm going to do it myself." And that's how that's how Virgil was born.
1: I, uh, they... well, I, I, I adore Django Unchained. I will totally debate with you over whether or not this film is radical gladly at some other point in time where I don't have to subject other people to my ramblings on these matters. But um, I well, definitely
2: like. I don't. I don't think it's actually a fault of the movie. It's more a fault of the middle class, like cloistered people watching it. But that is a whole other debate. Mm.
1: Well, um, but I I really like how you're talking about the film as I'm sorry the the comic is coming from that particular lineage and it definitely being a, a, a space that just haven't had a really comics that have proclaimed that clearly in themselves at that point. Um, so I it totally makes sense to me that that would come from, you know, being steeped in those they... sort of films and not really seeing anything like from the queer community that takes that place, being produced.
2: And yeah, I mean, I'm a person that was raised, you know, I, I, my, I mean, I've always been into cinema and fiction and media that was I was probably too young to be watching. You know, like I read Sons of the Lambs when I was in like seventh grade. And uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I wasn't allowed to do a book report on it, even though I'd already read it. And, uh, <laughs> and but like at the same time, I also like, I, I, I grew up watching Chaff. I grew up watching uh, like Coffee, um, you know, Cleopatra Jones, Foxy Brown, of course, Across 110th Street, uh, Sweet Sweetback*. And like these are the movies, these are the type of heroes which were just like bold and unfiltered uh, that that informed a lot of my uh, a lot of my work. And so yeah, like I wanted to do that for the gay community, or I should say the queer community. Uh, And and I wanted to to take those ideas and that sort of unrest, that sort of unfiltered cry that comes through in those movies. Uh, and, and and make it something uh, that that involves the queer community and 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 it's because as you said it's it's someplace we haven't totally gone yet. and the time is right now more than ever and and it's more, you know, back when black exploitation started uh, with sweet Sweetback, like it was subversive because um it was it was. Bucking against the the sort of oppressive stereotype of of what the African American community was, and with Virgil we have that, and we have so much more because we're bucking against this idea of masculinity by having a gay action hero, uh, and and it's 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 hopefully disruptive, at the same time hopefully it's a connection point because you identify with his struggle, and you identify with his passion. But at the same time, it is, it is sort of like shattering that idea. There's a reason that, that especially, you know, the same-sex attraction in general threatens normal gender roles and, and, and ideas of traditional masculinity, but gay sexuality especially, and people who bottom especially, because you have such, you know, traditional masculinity has such a, an intense set of rules, and anything with that many set of rules is easily threatened. And when something's threatened, you know, it's like it's like a wounded animal. It's defensive. And that's where that anger comes from. That's the anger against Virgil, especially uh, when you get into gay sex because in many times, to be frank, you have a man who is accepting physically uh, a man who's penetrated, the symbol of masculinity. So nothing is more threatening than that. And so to have this action hero doing those things and, and calling into question this tense masculinity, like that's the disruption uh, that that I think exploitation stands for. So it's very exciting.
1: That's a really great way to break it down for our listeners. Thank you. Um, you know, I think one of just when you mentioned Sweetback, you know, Sweetback exists both as a underground film that is experimental in its storytelling, especially in the like the, near the end of it when you have those you know scenes where he's just walking through like the wasteland and they're interviewing regular people who are talking about sweet back, you know, and yet it's also, you know, a B movie made on, you know, very little money. Uh, and at certain points in time, it follows uh, traditional storytelling formats of movies. And then on other points, it sort of digresses into something a little more, I mean, just avant-garde. I don't really know what other word to use for it. Um, and with the comic that you're looking at here, you have something where, the art approach you're doing is really striking and is not standard generic comic book art, um, but you're also, you know, telling, but you're, but you are telling your story in a pretty, you know, like linear way. So I think it's actually an interesting tra- parallel between those two, between your comic and Sweetback in that sense.
2: Yeah, I, I I would definitely agree. I mean, like the the art approach is something that you wanted to make a strong statement with, especially the JD wanted to make a song statement with, and at the same time having have it a little bit of retro feel. I mean, like JD's push for the book was Mazzucchelli meets Nicholas Winding Refn, and those <laughs> I think I think both come through. You know, you wanted to feel classic and lo-fi. And I definitely did want to do something a little more linear than what you have in Sweetback. Just be, uh, you know, for for clarity's sake, I sort of have a reputation as well of being a guy that jumps around a lot when it comes to the narrative. Uh, if you've read Midnighter or, or or reviews of Midnighter, you know that I like I don't like to make it easy on people. Uh, so uh, it, with with everything else going, in, I want to be able to focus on the the focus and the eyes and the the the, the, the conception of the readers to be on the action, the violence, the sex. All the primal fashions that are driving the buck instead of whatever crazy idea I might have had when it comes to narrative structure, which I try to keep pretty simple in this particular instance.
1: I just have a quick follow-up for that, though. I feel like reading the comic, to me, the two moments and I don't – I mean, I know this – because the comic's been out on Kickstarter – uh, hopefully this is, I don't think either of these are spoilers to a listener. The two moments that I felt like were the most traditionally cinematic and sort of fist-pumping moments of like, yeah, were when you see him uh, just coming out of, um, coming out of the uh, the house, um, so, uh, coming out of, out of, after he's rescued and he's coming out of J-Flag, um, the, uh, the, the queer rights organization. And he says, you know, make sure there's print out another ticket too, because I'll be on that plane, but I won't be but I won't be on it alone. It's just like this amazing straight out of the movies feeling for sort the of fist pumping moment in the comic that I think he just captured so well.
2: Well thank you. Um, so I think that I mean those those sort of I mean it is an action movie. I mean JB and I are both guys that are huge trans of those things. So like to hear that it's that's exactly what we hope. I mean it's 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 an action book first that has a gay man in it. But it's not a it's not an issues book so to speak.
0: What uh what got you to want to do the set the series in Jamaica as to maybe like maybe some Small southern town in the U.S. or some other location that maybe readers are a bit more familiar with?
1: Well,
2: you know, there's, uh, well, first of all, you have, in many ways, I think, just answered the question because readers are familiar with that. And part of, and I think wholeheartedly that the job of comics is always to bring a wow factor. It's always to bring, uh, take the readers places that, show them things that they haven't seen before, take them places they haven't been. There's no budget in comics. And so I don't want to do a book where you are going to see something that you could see walking down the street. I mean, even a book like Southern Bastards, you can go to the South, but you can never go to Craw County. So, like, uh, like, why move it out of a more expected setting? Well, that is why, because those settings are expected. And in the case of Jamaica, the more I dug into it, you know, the books originally meant to be set in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, because I had read about a lot <laughs> of violence against community there, Um, but when I saw that they'd covered that a little bit in Unknown Soldier, which had only just wrapped up when we started on Virgil, I decided I wanted to try to find somewhere else. And I came across this article in Time Magazine, it was a 2006 article, and it said uh, claiming that Jamaica was the most homophobic place on the planet. And I was, as anyone who hadn't looked into that much much until that point, I was shocked. You know, this is like a vacation hotspot where people, uh, you know, um, smoke, pop, and kick back, but uh, not really. It, 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 you know, it's a totally different world. As I read this and, and looked into into it more, for a lot of people, and so that that was the impetus, that moment of discovery, something that I want to give to the readers, uh, and, and it's something that I, I I spent so much time learning more and more about. And I mean, you can you can get an inkling from an article, but it's it's hundreds of articles and personal accounts and and, and news reports and documentaries um, that, that give you the feeling of what it is to really be there. And that visceral feeling, I think, only compounds the book, but it's also super important. I mean, this is an area that uh, the average person, again, thinks is like a resort destination, but where large, the majority percentage of the citizens don't believe that gay people deserve basic human rights, and where um, the vast majority of the, of the gay community is homeless and actually living in a storm drain. So it's it's it, it's an insane world uh, that I, I want to open people's eyes to, and again to bring it back, like that is the that is the job of exploitation. You're using an acceptable, you're using a medium like an a, a common medium like an action story to open the readership's eyes to the struggles of the community. So when I saw what was going on there, I thought we could do one better than just making it about the queer community. We could talk about something that hadn't been talked about.
0: Uh, we were, uh, I was actually there, I don't know, maybe like six months ago or so for my honeymoon. I was totally unaware of how crappy it was there in, in that situation, expecting exactly what you described, a bunch of people kind of sitting around smoking pot. And by the amount of times that I was offered it there, that would be the, it lives up to its reputation. Um, but the the openness of the, the folks there of willing to you know say stuff or uh, make comments would like really shock me. Um, you know, what, exactly what type of research did you do? Like, you know, were there sites you went to, were there reports or books that you read, um, going into it?
2: Well, there is, I mean, there, there's no shortage, uh, of, 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 of resources. I mean, for, from the, from the community standpoint, there is obviously things like the J Flag website. Um, but, uh, beyond, beyond that, um, you know, there are, it, it's saddening how many reports of these types of, this type of regression there is, and um, there are, which of which I read numerous ones, there are as well, because this is the, the Internet age, which I find even more useful, I mean, there are personal accounts, there, there are social media accounts of people telling their story, you know, anonymously uh, to remain safe, uh, just like you have in Russia. Uh, that that open your eyes to a very much more like on the ground type of perspective on these things. Um, there's people that you know in daily life that are from Jamaica. They have their own perspectives. Uh, either they knew about it or they don't know about it, and uh, and and that gives you sort of your own view on the gentrification of of, of hate that's going on there. Um, mm-hmm. And beyond that, there's like you know just if 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 people are looking for a very sync primer on it that covers a lot of what I said there's um, about a 30 minute long uh, vice media documentary called Young and Gay, Jamaica's Belly Queens uh, which is a, a perfect summary of what's going on and really shows just how self-fulfilling the type of oppression this, uh, that's against the gay community are there, or is going on there you know I mean you know, and, and with people who don't even know, you know like you said people who are openly, uh, we'll talk about these things. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's an area where like the dancehall music is openly about killing gay people, um, and beyond that as well. Uh, with the advent of the Kickstarter book, um, I was able to ha- I have have outreach from people directly living and living on day to day in Jamaica, who read the story uh, and 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 spoke to me about the story. And that's one of the advantages going into the image edition. You know, it is, it is a refined vision of what we had with the Kickstarter, and for the most part, everybody was very excited uh, about our take on, on what's going on and that we we're talking about it. But you know, it that is the making those connections is key when you're depicting a culture that you're not part of. I I would never, and I vehemently don't believe that there's any type of a uh, story that a creator shouldn't tell, or or can't, or is not allowed to tell. But what's equally important is the responsibility there. So, respect for that culture, research, uh, especially in the internet age, there's no excuse not to do it. And in the case of Virgil, we were able to do one better, uh, and and put the story in front of people and have them say, this is th- this is what's connecting, this is what's working, or maybe this could be a little better, and like just fine-tuning the word choice, small actions, motivations. And those are the things that have gone into the uh, the new image collective vision.
1: I mean, that's really great to hear. I love it. Because, I, I, you know, I have to say, when I first heard about the book, I was initially concerned. We have a tendency in America to uh, locate uh, hate and bigotry that is existent in America, also in other countries, and say, oh, like, look at how all these countries in the Middle East hate women look at how Russia's treating gay people, you know, like, look at, you know, how all these young women in Latin America can't get abortions, And like the tendency to sort of look down on people to like, Oh, these countries are backwards. These places are backwards as opposed to, and, and not recognize the way in which America is like one complicit in creating situations where that kind of stuff happens in those countries. And two, that we also are bigoted and fucked up in America. Um, so I was, You know, I was fearful at first going into it, like, you know, what is an American going to say that isn't going to make it seem like, oh, look at all those bad homophobes in this country full of brown people, whereas in America, like, we have our shit together. But it looked like you had done a lot of work making sure that that wasn't sort of the takeaway that people got. But it's definitely a question that I'm aware of and concerned with when we talk about things like that. I wasn't sure if it was something you were worrying about when you were putting it together, too.
2: Um, I mean, I... I'm not necessarily worried about it uh, in the case of this particular book, because it's not an accusatory book. Uh, it, is, it is for it's a book full of imperfect people, including the lead character itself. and so I, I, I don't personally think it points a finger rather than stating a fact, uh, and, and it's stating the fact uh, stating a fact in both ways. I mean, Virgil himself, important to me about Virgil is that it is not I'm already doing a superhero book. Uh, and, and, and this is not one. And so um, it's important in any of these situations, and even going to Russia. You know, Russia has a lot of uh, people handling uh, the gay community poorly, but it has some great people as well. And so you have to show, uh, and we do it in Virgil as well, people that, you know, g- to give a 360-degree view, view of a community and show that there are people uh, fighting that fight there and that there are people doing brave things And um, not sort of create this uh, idea that it's it's like you know Skull Mountain or something, and and like and like you know something terrible like that. Um, And so that that's really important to me. And at the same and and at the same time, there is no it it is a siloed story as well. There's no uh, which which is a major problem with a lot of these stories. Depending on, on how they're told, you know, there's no American hero jumping in here to save Virgil and and say like this is, you know, there's no white guy saving someone in Virgil. Uh, there's no white <laughs> guy in Virgil uh, at all. Um, and so I think that is another uh, important thing. You know, it is it is a story about Jamaica with Jamaicans taking place in Jamaica. And uh our tendency, of course, is to say, well, as you said, like, look at all these other people. We're doing so good here. Let's show them the the right way, uh, you know, whether we have the right way or not. And, like, that is that is on my mind. Uh, but it's also such an easy trope to avoid uh, as long as you're cognizant. And I think that that idea, cognizance, um, lateral thinking, and, and any type of awareness of something greater than yourself, that's key to doing this story uh, these types of stories in general and and to be honest that that's, that's the work of being a responsible creator um, and i'm not don't think i'm making waves or pointing fingers but you know the the idea the reason that that fear comes from any under uh, excuse me any underrepresented group and i'm guilty of it myself you know uh, being bisexual and, and taking a book and being like oh well it's clearly written by a straight guy um, at the same time, they've been like, oh, this is wonderful, and it's written by a straight guy. Well, the reason that those things happen is because of being let down so often, and it's because of people, you know, just because we make comics, we don't understand that we're, I mean, it, it would seem to me that not everyone understands the, the immense responsibility with that, with any type of creative process and, and, and product, and that's where things go awry. You can't, you can't go off the cuff with something that is life and death for people. And and we certainly don't. And uh, but I think that that has happened before, you know, uh, with 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 the idea of not really understanding what is in what it entails when you're going to be representing a different group, the weight of that responsibility. And it's something that we did keep in mind, with Virgil, and I hope uh, everyone keeps in mind when they're doing this, you know, across the industry. That's a great answer. Thank you.
0: So uh speaking of research, the reading it, um, the way folks did a lot of how some of the folks talked in Jamaica when we were when I was there. Um, you know, what uh how was it kind of writing uh, that sort of is there any point that you were like tempted to actually put in patois into the the comic?
1: Well about that thing,
2: you know, I went to school uh, and swam in college with two people from Jamaica, so I have some firsthand experience with, uh, you know, mm. very, very quickly I was told I was taught what bumbaclot means, and like, a little bit goes a long way with those things, and 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 it's something I, I I talked about in other interviews, like, and it actually relates to what I was saying before, you know, like people as a creator, you have to realize how things come off, and that we're working not in an auditory medium. And so, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's hopefully enough sort of dialectics and enough phrases um, and sort of idioms to show that we've, that we've looked into what people say, but not so much where it becomes, it, it, it verges on the idea of parody, And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you are, you know, you, we're working in comics. We're not, it's not film, it's not radio or whatever. Not that anyone listens, uh, like, to, I, I guess people do listen to the radio, but not on a radio anymore. It's on their computer, obviously, because we're on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's, you can't avoid the fact that people are going to put their own impressions on what you're writing. You're, and so when you're writing a, a patois, a dialect, an idiom, it's oh, it's just a phonetic representation, and it's so easy for it to verge into parody, because you're subject to how the other people views that form of speech, and so I think it's a little bit goes a long way with those things, and that's important, you know. Like otherwise, you know, you otherwise you end up with like their eyes were watching God, which. <laughs> which is actually a great example because people who are not culturally literate have a different view of that book than people who are. Uh, and, and and certainly, like, I'm not the guy to be writing that. So, yeah, you know, we have, a, we have a little bit in, but I was also very conscious of the important role that language plays in the book. And you'll notice that Virgil speaks one way when he's with, you know, when he's with the police, and he, and he speaks another way when he's with his boyfriend. And I think that that, you know, the idea of looking at language allowed us to also use it as a way to intensify his characterization, and this idea that he really is putting on a different face uh, when, he's, when he's on the police force, and uh, it doesn't really become unified until, a- until, until after the attack, uh, where his speech pattern kind of blends. And yes, he does have a little more tough talk, but he's also this pure primal version of himself in that time. So um, that's my long-winded answer for did I try to do a Patois Uh, Yes, a little bit to let people know that I'm not just sort of like flying by the seat of my pants, but you know we want to make sure that our characters are looked at by readers as intelligent and fully formed people as well.
0: I I tried learning the language when I was there, and I have nothing but an ear for foreign language, so that's not too shocking. Um, The series when you first uh, did it, you you launched as a why that route, and you know what kind of lessons did you learn? that process
2: yeah did you say kickstarter because you are cutting in and out bro.
1: yes
0: yeah yes. sorry
2: yeah um well you know the, the the honest answer and i'm all about transparency in comics the kickstarter is so that uh jd would be would be able to free up enough time in his work schedule to produce the book and and give it the attention it deserves um you know i i felt that doing a a crowdfunding option sort of was thematically right for doing something that was sort of based off exploitation because, you know, as you said about Sweet, Sweet back earlier, like, it was low budget, it was B-movie, and so, yeah, I enjoyed the, the sort of, like, meta idea of having this be something that the people put together, uh, so to speak, the people. Um, but, you know, Kickstarter was... Learning experience, and in that respect, it's, it's exciting too because it let me do the one part of comic, the comics industry that I didn't know about yet. You know, I did write and illustrate a book in college, and it was no one will ever see it because I've disavowed its existence, but it is real uh, and it's 100 pages long and so, and that helped me. It helped me understand what the the pencil or, the inker, the letter, or the colors are going through and 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 know what is happening after I press send on the script. and but I had never done production before. So in the case of um, in the case of the Kickstarter, now there's really nothing that I don't understand about the about making a comic, and that makes you a better creator, you know, when you know not just how you're what are you doing a page is going to reverberate through the art team, but through the production team, through the, through the printer, through the, uh, you know, how's it going to translate to the time uh, of, of getting it to the readers and distribution? Um, that, I think, is invaluable knowledge that Kickstarter forces on you. I mean, it's, it, it's obligatory because you have to get it done, but at the same time, like, it's not something I thought of before I started. I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to box them up and ship them out but like the, the, the human cost of that is I think invaluable knowledge. And so that was sort of an unexpected bonus to me and an unexpected lesson that I took from the Kickstarter process.
1: Oh, okay. I, I have a listener question that I want us to respond to, which is sort of jumping back, but I'm really glad somebody put it there because I take some of this for granted sometimes. So, um, Somebody had asked about very early in the show when you and I were first talking about queer exploitation as a genre and why it was important for um, Virgil to, um, you know, to have a boyfriend in this and why it was important to talk about him being a bottom. Somebody was just sort of like, I, I like, the saying they basically just didn't understand what we were talking about, and I was like, Oh, yeah, we might want to dial back and explain some of the queer theory stuff that we just spouted off. Um, so. I, I am happy to do that myself as well, but uh, I thought you might want to, if there was a way to sort of go back and encapsulate again like what we were talking about when we were explaining the importance of identifying Virgil as a bottom and why we were talking about the importance of um, changing the the, the, the stereotype, challenging the stereotype that people have um, around, you know, gay masculinity in this comic. Um, just trying to think of if we can go back and, and hammer on that again for folks who didn't spend four years doing queer theory stuff like you or I may have done. Um, well,
2: uh, so the idea is, you know, obviously masculinity has uh, so many sets of rules like, uh, you know, you X, Y, and Z and X, Y, and Z goes far, than letters of the alphabet are masculine, you know, like don't talk about your feelings and like enjoy farting or whatever, like that's the joke. But, is it though uh and
1: like so like not a joke
2: <laughs> yeah so like so many rules for 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 what is you know that if you don't do them all then like oh there's something about that guy uh and the idea behind virgil is that, like yeah the and, and it's the true idea why uh why do uh especially gay sex but 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 any type of non-normative sexuality, that is to say, not heterosexuality. Why does it threaten that? Well, because anything that has so many, so many rules is, is thus easily broken down, like the house of cards. And so of course it's defensive. And of course that concepts and people who subscribe to it are aggressive and defensive. And when we were talking about uh, gay sexuality specifically, and the threat to masculinity is because bottoms are the receptive partner uh in gay sex they're receiving a penis anally, and like there's nothing uh there is nothing more threatening to that concept uh of traditional masculinity because they're uh, they're assuming what is a dogmatically female role and and taking internally uh the symbol of masculinity so Uh, The idea that you can do those things, but also embody these masculine traits, be confident, be bold, be the alpha, Uh, you know, that threatens that house of cards and forces a redefinition of it. And that's where uh, sort of the power of of Virgil uh, comes from.
1: That's a great summary. I mean, just sort of follow up on that, for example, like people like that's why when we were complaining about, um, in the Deadpool trailer, Deadpool calling Colossus a cocksucker, you know, our response, the response of someone who actually has sex with men should probably be, I'm sorry, if there's something wrong with sucking cocks? You, like, you know, is
2: it, is it so? I'm correct, you, yeah. not to correct you. He's a cock chugger. I'm sorry? He's a cock chugger.
1: Oh, thank you. Is there <laughs> some, is there, but the point remains, like, the idea is that like, why is this? No, I insult? know. <laughs> No, I know, on behalf of the listeners. So that would sort of be like my example of like you know how it is assumed that any position or any role that could be associated with being female or feminine in any way is looked at as lesser and is looked at as submissive. And of course, submissive is bad, obviously. And of course, being receptive is bad, obviously, because being a man is the best thing anybody could possibly be. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so I think that I, I think hopefully we answered listener question. Please do not hesitate to direct message me or tweet at me if you want us to talk about it a bit more because this stuff is incredibly important. And I think it's incredibly well, important I mean. in comics, especially because comics are all about masculinity. Like 50 to 80% of the time, comics are about masculinity, even if they're about women. So we have well, to Well, and we talked about, about, talk that,
2: about that. You know, in the book, there's a, there's a scene where Virgil outright says those things because he knows what it's going to do, uh, you know, to the people that are in the room with him. Uh, and 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 he sort of owns that power. Uh, so I mean you'll see that you'll see that in a passive way, and you'll see the book totally own that and have it become active at certain scenes as well too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I mean I want to respond to that, but it feel a bit too spoilery, so I won't quite go there. Um, oh, wow. Um, have you had a chance to sort of bring this comic at all to like, the gay bookstore world, or have you guys been primarily focused on the comics world? Um,
2: well, I mean, let me phrase it this way, just because I I, I don't directly do a retail outreach. Uh, I have definitely done outreach beyond comics media. Uh, you know, places like Rainbow Hub. Where we're going to have coverage and other gay media outlets towards the towards the release of the book. So we are trying to. We are trying to reach out beyond the comics community, um, as to where it's being marketed um, for 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 book market sales. Uh, I hope it I hope it's going there. I, I I want to contact the communities directly and let them know that this is a thing that they should be getting a part of them. So that's why we're going to, you know, that's why we're reaching out to Towel Road or or Toll Road. That's why we're reaching out uh-huh, to uh, you know, and and if they're receptive, that is a question. And that's a different question about, about, about queer media in general. Um, but, you know, that's why we're reaching out to some other outlets that will be covering it. Uh, and so uh, I, I want it to be seen in different places. And, and I want to, um, you know, I'm trying to, just like we did with Midnighter, like Midnighter was on BuzzFeed. Midnighter was on all these places that you didn't expect would be covering gay comics before and the response was uniform almost uniformly a thumbs up. So like I think the time is right now and and, and yeah, we're definitely reaching out beyond the normal comics readership.
1: That's cool. I guess I just had this fantasy of like this book existing at my local gay comic gay uh uh like oh my god, what was the name of the freaking bookstore? I'm so old, it's really depressing. Um, at the gay bookstores that we used to go to growing up and I'm, you know, having it there next to like, it was primarily, you know, lesbian humor comics were like most of the graphic novel section at the gay bookstore growing up. So what I would Um, say is
2: if there there are people listening to the show and want Virgil in your local queer libraries, whether it's at a school or whether it's whether it's in a local bookstore. Uh, I mean, you guys know how to contact me. Whether it's via the podcast, <laughs> and um, you know, I I will make it happen. Um, but uh, I mean, that is that market is so. Uh, it's been interesting. Like, and that's like a comic industry thing. Like, I'm a little more insulated from the direct contact with retailers now in some ways. Like when I was independent, I had a small press book agent who was legitimately just going from store to store and like showing his portfolio kind of like a wine salesman and 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 like they would decide if they wanted steve's books or not so um i would love to connect with those those places and if people are 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 listening to the show contact you guys and and they will give you my direct email and we'll find a way to make that happen
0: sweet uh kind of as into the marketing question how did the book actually come to to um, during ImageVac, so that wasn't necessarily one that I was expecting to get announced during the, when it was. I definitely perked up and was like, fuck yeah, that's awesome It got picked up. So, you know, how did it get from Kickstarter to, to Image? Uh,
2: well, you know, Image, in the same way that Undertow that came to Image through the Man of Action guys, they were kind enough to say this is something that Image should give a look at and, and for that I'm eternally grateful. For. You know, I was sort of like off from my corner uh, tr- tr- just madly trying to get the Kickstarter rewards out before people came to burn my house down. Uh, when, when I heard that they had like sort of mentioned to mention to the guys the image, uh, and and uh, you know a couple months later it was uh, something that they decided they were going to move forward with. So um, it is very exciting to me that they were able to take it because it is a platform and, it, and it's, it it gives the book a voice that it didn't necessarily have before. And that that, that, that is a great thing. And that's the, the, you know, I'm eternally thankful to them for sort of letting us do that. It is, uh, you know, that's the other side of Kickstarter. Like we had, uh, if you hear buses in the background, that is comic superstar Frank Barberi trolling me as I do this show, by the way. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> Tell him talk? I'm contacting oh.
0: him next. Get on the show. That's it's true. Actually
2: that's actually true. But oh, Barbary's <laughs> on,
0: oh, on next. No, no, no. I got I yeah. actually have to hit on the show. I, so, I haven't done it yet. Also like, coming out of San Diego.
2: But yeah. with Kickstarter, like we had a we had a very we had a huge angel backer, right? So at the end of the day, for all this work that we put in, if Image didn't pick it up, uh, less than 150 people would have ever seen the book, and to me, that's a tragedy. So. Mm. Um, it, it, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation where, uh, you know, the, my sort of outreach and cries of, of rage and, and frustration reached the right people uh, to my own, my cries of rage and frustration and my own inadequacies. And, uh, and, and, and Image was able to help out.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm, it, was a, it was a great place to see that being announced in the midst of everything else happening in Image Expo, and was making me very cranky at that time. Um, one of the questions I had around around character design, uh, you know, you've been working with your artist on this book since since the idea really was developed. But I was wondering if, you know, as you were writing the story and plotting it, like, did you have an image in your mind of what Virgil was supposed to look like and what Irvin was supposed to look like? And, like, how did you transfer these characters who are incredibly important and detailed, you know, into something that somebody else was able to create and, and, and draw on the page? Um, I
2: have, you know, the full answer is that the designs were definitely a collaboration between me and J.D., as with most things of the visuals. Like, I, I've never done a book where it didn't benefit me to give the, the, my co-creators room to jam and sort of, like, You know, blow up what they want to blow up and and go the direction they want. So when it came to Virgil and Irvine and Bandaloo and and Omar uh, and everybody, um, a lot of my direction is often more like the feeling. And it was the same with Undertale, like the feelings they should elicit. It's the type of the types of thoughts you should have when you see them. And, you know, then I sort of let JD sort of interpret that the way that he wants or let Artero interpret that the way that he wants. And, like, not everyone is like that. I'm sure some people have strong authoritative hands in those things. Um, But I just, you know, you want everyone, comics are not like the, it's not a dictatorship. Uh, And and though the narrative is that it's a writer-driven industry, I don't think that that benefits or makes the book as good as it can be. So, I mean, it is a team, and we're all trying to make each other better, and we're all trying to keep each other honest uh, and call ourselves when we're getting lazy, when we're pulling our usual bullshit in order to make the final product as good as possible. And so on things like designs and stuff, I'm like, yeah, Virgil should seem like this, and Omar should seem like this, and Bandaloo should just, you know, X, Y, and Z emotionally and sort of thematically, and then JD is like, okay, well, what if we do this? And and that, that, to be honest, is how they came together. It's almost all, when it comes to the visual aspect, it's almost all him because that's the the place he can express himself. I'm I'm putting the words on the page. So I have to give him something equally, uh, a spot to be equally as evocative. uh, And I think it benefits from it.
1: You know, just if you think about it, one of the things that I complain about a lot is, in so much comics art, you can't, the only way you can tell one character apart from another is because of the costume they are wearing and, like, the icon that is on it. You know, in a lot of comics art, everybody has the same hairdo, everybody has the same face shape. You know, you can maybe only tell one person from another because one's a blonde and the other is a brunette. And one of the really cool things that you get from you having situated this comic in Jamaica is that your art depends on the fact that you're giving everybody their own face shape and their own, like, where are their eyes? Where is their nose located? You know, how long of a jaw do they have? How exactly is their haircut? And then that specificity is, and, and because everybody's wearing a cop uniform, I mean, many and many of the people are wearing cop uniforms. You're forcing us, you know, you're saying that the art has to carry these characters' specific details over, and you don't end up with the sort of standard, generic, sloppy comics art that we're subjected to most of the time. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: but I mean, it's true. But I knew, I but I, I also knew that J.C. was up to the challenge. Uh, you know, I mean, all of his work before has been very sort of very physically evocative and that's knowing that is is part of collaboration. Like I, I, I couldn't do, especially the finale scene without some shots, some tight end shots, emotion shots, uh, uh of Virgil, because, you know, he's going to crush on those things. And like my favorite panel in the whole book is, 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 is a shot uh, just a Virgil's face because, I mean, uh, JD, J.D. gets it. He knows it makes you connect with characters. And just like a real person, it's, it's when you can look them in the eye. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, all those things, and all the things that you've said about making them seem real and making them seem different regardless of what they're wearing, that's all, it couldn't be more important to me uh, because the whole thing is supposed to be uh, about humans as much as possible. And that sounds kind of like a given, uh, but it, but it's not as you said. So uh, we're we're trying to do the best we can.
0: Uh, how much of the story have, have did you plan out? Are you of it as kind of one? Is there some greater story that you're thinking of? A you know volume with you know uh, going back for revenge something like that. Um, you know, basically, are we going to see more Virgil?
2: Uh, I think that if I mean, I, I like stories that have endings uh, is the short answer. Um, so I think that, and it's important to me, it, it was the same with Undertale. Like in some ways I'm sad that it says volume one uh, because like you get a complete story in that book. And it was important to me to do the same thing with Virgil. Uh, you know, the, the Virgil graphic novel is not a pitch to buy the second Virgil graphic novel. Um, but having it, having said that, um, I think any return to Virgil uh, would be a thematic one. Um, I, I mm-hmm. love these characters. I, I love the journey that they have. And, and I've already sort of, we've already sort of talked about where we would go next and where we would go is, 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 is somewhere else that that is that where there's a fight being fought and somewhere else that people are, maybe that there's a different light to look at it. than then the average reader thinks of, And and that is where Virgil would go next, rather than coming back to these characters, because you know we've all seen Death Wish, and then we've all seen Death Wish Five. You know, (laughs)
1: actually, I haven't seen Death Wish (laughs) Five. I I was going to. The reason you see,
2: (laughs) you don't want to cheapen a great story, and I'm not saying that Death Wish is. A better example is Die Hard. No, it is okay. Yeah. Because I legitimately yeah. think Die Hard is one is, is a near-perfect action movie. And in some level, it is cheapened by Die Hard 5, no matter what people say. Um, uh-huh. and, and it's still great, but you know in the back of your head that it got dumb later on. And, and that's, <laughs> that's certainly not what we want. And uh, so I think that, yeah, the idea that we would come back and do something else, it would be... Uh, it would be... Like in the model of, of shows like like True Detective and Fargo, except for that, are disastrous second season. <laughs> wow, that's awesome.
0: beat me to that. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. Like, hey, hopefully, season's better than theirs. Uh.
2: Well, Fargo might still be good. Stay tuned.
0: True, true, true. <laughs> um, have you have you thought about like where you might go? I mean, I'm not saying that you've, you have this huge plan, but you know really given more than just a the same theme someplace else? Uh,
2: you know, no, because my all my energy, other than the idea that we would go somewhere else, all of my energy right now is focused on making sure that as many people, uh, you know, see this book as possible. Um, and so uh, honestly, I, I, I do not have a specific location um, put down right now. Um, I've always wanted to do a book in Canada, but Canada is so nice and pleasant that that's probably not a good, a good setting for virtual <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, Canada oh, so is like the valley at the valley high of like the books. Like they, Everybody wants to escape to Toronto. So, <laughs> What if when they escape to Toronto, they're then placed I don't want to deal with the same characters, but I'm just saying, like, I, I get I get your concern about wanting to do something in
2: Canada. Within, within long run. Virgil 2, it goes to Canton. No, that would be pretty. No. That,
1: yes, it already has a
2: tagline. Uh, Virgil 2, Virgil Harder is just oh. actually.
1: Oh, oh God. Uh, not- Why? Why? you know Why? Virgil Tulu? Hello?
0: Yep. I'm Hello?
2: here, yeah. Yeah, i know But Brett is cutting in and out.
1: Damn okay. it. I got to talk to the people I know who are organizing against the tar sands stuff that's happening in Canada, where they're going to like completely destroy all of this land in Canada to try to get a tiny bit of, air, of oil out of it and endanger everybody's health and figure out what is the explication film in waiting to be made about the tar sands. It's definitely going to be starring the First Nations people, that's for sure. I'll get back it, sounds to
2: kind of, that. it sounds kind of like the Steven Seagal movie, Fire Down Below. Oh? Which is, a, which is an, like an environmental Seagal movie where he plays like a park ranger who knows karate. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, not to go too off topic, but it was supposed to be his, like, I think it was his last movie that was not direct-to-DVD until mm-hmm. Machete. Uh, here's the summary. When an EPA representative is discovered dead in a Midwestern town, government agent Jack Taggart goes undercover to check things out. He finds that local co-mogul Oren Hanner Sr., played by Chris Christopherson, is cutting <laughs> financial <laughs> by disposing of hazardous waste wherever he pleases. And the local kids are falling ill because of his recklessness. Um, so he, then he beats him with karate.
1: Oh, wow. You, you almost made me want to watch that. But it wouldn't well, be as good as a, as a comic with indigenous people fighting against John Harper. But it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah, and also,
2: it's, as, as movies with Seagal go, it's pretty bad because he doesn't have a ridiculously ethnic, like, 2 syllable name. Uh, where he's named, like, Nico or Gino in most of his movies, that just he does not look like any of those things?
1: Uh, I, yes, that does be crazy. It's like the Schwarzenegger movies, and they don't give him a Germanic name. I'm like, just give him a Germanic name. You don't have to explain why he's in America. Just have him have a Germanic name. It's okay.
2: Like like John Matrix?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that was deliberately, like, supposed to be fake, right? No, I don't
2: think think I think you're overthinking Commando.
1: It's it's hard to overthink command Well it's, it's it's not too hard to over I, okay. I won't try, I won't overthink commando. I, I'll I'll try better to not do that. But I, I would assume that, that was actually not his real name, but you're right, that's probably wishful thinking on my part. He's from, uh, the, he's
2: from the he's from the he's from the Austro Hungarian matrix line. So
1: Exactly. It all makes so much sense now. Uh, If we're going to get digression slightly into talking about Arnold things, I just have to say that if you weren't aware of the band Austrian Death Machine, which was a band that was doing, it was purported to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's hardcore band um, that did songs about Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, that you shouldn't buy any of their records now because their singer, unfortunately, is in jail for trying to kill his wife which was a real heartbreaker because I truly enjoyed their hilarious music up until that happened just a year ago.
2: Well, I'd never given them money, but I knew they existed. I, I tried to focus all my, my my comedy metal on the late Christopher Lee's Charlemagne albums. Yes.
1: Ah, I knew we liked you for a reason. Well, I, we won't be sharing any downloads of Get to d Choppa anytime soon, unfortunately. It was <laughs> It was a great concept while it lasted. Apparently, can't keep on listening to it. Anyway, uh, I'm sure that people who appreciate the finer, finer works of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's films and the music um, performances of, of Christopher Lee, uh, may he rest in peace, oh my gosh, um, uh, will also appreciate Virgil because it has a same uh, exuberant pulp quality to it. But I... But, you know, here's something. So I hadn't even thought about this particularly, but when I last saw you, we were on a panel at FlameCon talking about um, where you were talking about your book and the folks who do Bashback were talking about Bashback, which is an amazing webcomic that everybody should go check out on Tumblr, um, which is about a underground queer mafia of people who are defending queer people against uh, violence and exploitation. And one of the things that I... I noticed when I was writing up my summary for our podcast today, I feel like the story that you're telling is a very personal one about, like, a man and his life, whereas the one that Bashback is sort of doing is more like a broader sort of community, about a community coming together. Um, I suspect in some ways that yours being a very personal individual is a product of it being based on exploitation films where you have sort of that lone hero. But do you think that there's space in this sort of genre for stuff that's more community-driven and isn't necessarily centered around one protagonist?
2: Um, I, I think there definitely is. Uh, the I think the the issue with that... There is no issue with that, besides space. So I guess that's what I was trying mm-hmm. to say. Like, there, there is definitely room for it, um, and, and that's why with the Dragon Flashback, which is an ongoing... Um, my one thing with all of my works, uh, is the idea that like, and I believe, I believe very like strongly that, you know, you, if you try to do, if you try to do everything in a small amount of page, you'll, pages, like you'll maybe get something that appeals to a wide amount of people a little bit, but you'll also get something that profoundly affects no one. And so, um, Yes, there's definitely a place for those things. Uh, I don't think I could do the service that that type of story needs in a cumulative four-issue-length graphic novel, and so that is sort of why Virgil is what it is, uh, because I want to give mm. those characters the, the sort of the respect and attention they deserve. Uh, but in an ongoing, it's a totally different thing, and, and what they're doing in Bash Pack is a totally different thing. And so um, this, the place is definitely there. Uh, and, and it's just a matter of time until someone picks up that baton and, and makes it happen. And they're already doing it. I mean, uh, Lawrence and Fyodor are, and, and the team are already doing it with Bash Packet, so it, it, it's just going to keep happening.
1: Awesome. Oh, Brett, you had a good question.
0: So, you know, obviously the series really, you can tell that you love exploitation uh, films and that genre. You know, what, uh, what film have influenced Virgil and went into the making of it.
2: What films went into influencing it? Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a lot of the ones I already mentioned, I mean, those, the, those those are the guys sort of strongly influenced me. I mean, Virgil. But if I had to pare it down, uh, there's a lot of Shaft. Oh, God. There's a lot of Shaft in Virgil. <laughs> um. God. Damn it. Oh,
1: God. Okay, no, that's good. That's that's good. I salute you. I salute you in making that
2: joke. I didn't even know I was doing it, and then I just decided to to go all in. But anyway, there's a lot of John Shaft in the story of Virgil uh, and the idea of (laughs) of addressing the struggles of a community, both without and within, which I think is vitally important. As you've seen in Virgil, sometimes he is his own worst enemy. Uh, It's not always people pressing from the outside. So... uh, there's a, that point of view is very strong uh, in in the world of Virgil, um, and there's something to Foxy Brown and sort of like Pam Greer's meta character that, that travels to Jackie Brown as well in Virgil. Um, you know this sort of this sort of uh, hyper competent lead that is that is never that is constantly underestimated by people. Uh, I, I think is a large a large part of the book as well. And and I'm a huge Jackie Brown fan, uh, unquestionably. So I couldn't really do an exploitation book. Much like a lot of the the, the, the media that always influences me, like, yeah, this is I mean that is an influence on Virgil. But characters like Jackie Brown and uh and um and like Charles Bronson's char- uh character in Hard Times uh, you know, their influence is on every book I do. I'm always writing John McClane. It's just a question of what costume John McClane is wearing uh, and, oh. and if it's not on a given day. Um, so, um, but, like, I would say definitely John Shaft. I would say definitely Jack Brown. I would say across Audrey Street uh, because, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Jeff is kind of one of my favorite performers, and I can't, I can't help but putting a lot of the things he does into a lot of characters that I write.
1: I hadn't read that. I hadn't. Sorry, I read. I hadn't seen that one. That was the one of the, the one movie was that I haven't watched, Across 110th Street. Mm-hmm. Have I you agree. watched I mean, the yeah. most... Oh, sorry. Oh no. I
2: mean, it, it's a great. It's a great movie, and also like in the realm of his career, it's insane that Gaffardo was in these very important exploitation movies, and then also in Live and Let Die, uh, where he gets turned into a balloon and pops on a type. Uh, So he's had a weird career trajectory to follow, but it's all there and it's all interesting.
1: Did you ever see the world's most incompetent black exploitation film, which is called A Guy from Harlem?
2: It's called what? I haven't seen it, but what is it
1: called? The Guy from Harlem?
2: No, I have not. I'll send you a link.
1: I'll send you a link. It breaks all rules of storytelling in the most insane ways possible. Uh, just curious. It was uh, we, we saw it because there was a riff track of, that came out. But, um, but yeah, it's sort of the antithesis of everything that's awesome. It is uh, it is a lot of fun, <laughs> but it will probably make you stupider after you watch it.
2: Uh, well, I like movies like that. I'm a big fan of the movie Frogs and also the movie Night of the Lepus. So if you haven't seen any of those... Oh, God. And... Yes.
1: Yeah, Night of the Lepus, indeed.
2: Uh, yeah, make it part of your anyway. life if you have
1: cool cool um Brett uh, do we have anything else we want to make sure we hit on today
0: uh well so the the big thing the the comic is coming out in you know the the exact and how uh, advice would you give for folks to make sure to reserve their copy intent
2: uh how should they reserve their copy um they should call their, their they should call their local comic store and and uh, definitely before monday which is our which is our order deadline uh to uh, to make sure that they find out or let them know that they want to see virgil uh because this is you know this is this is this is the make or break time for books like this right now uh when where where people can reach out people that have read the interviews or done this done this listen to this podcast and, and say that this is the type of thing uh, that they want to see in comic stores. And especially for independent books like this, uh, it's hugely important uh, because retailers listen to consumers and they need to know, they need to hear from you guys what they want. And even if it's not Virgil, the pre-order time is super important uh, for everyone. That's why if you're on social media, you see all of us indie creators being like, the FOC is today, tell your friends. Uh, but that's because uh, th- this is the time when we find out if people are going to read it. So if you like what I've been saying, uh, or if you think that I'm a giant asshole and you need to read need to read the book just to see how much of an asshole I am, uh, either way, you should tell people you want it on there. Cool. Great. Thank
0: you. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, have read it, and I think we both really recommend it. Uh, so the the thing that is interesting to me is you know do, do you think that there is uh it's any more to kind of sell this book because the L G B T theme or that it stars an L G B T character like basically is, is there a kind of a hesitation or a worry of you know accepting these sort of books
2: is there a hesitation um I think less now. I think it's getting less and less all the time. I do really believe that the time is now. And it certainly helps that, that we've already launched Virgil and people, excuse me, I'm. I'm. we've already launched Midnighter and people seem to have embraced it, you know. And so I think that, yeah, there's always trepidation with something new. Um, you're sure, you're not sure people know what to make of it, but we've kind of already proven that the love is there. And so now we just have to give people more and do more, and it's not just me. Uh, certainly, I'm doing this book, but as I've said before, like the perfect situation is more and more people are doing career themed books, not just the Steve Orlando show. Um, so um, there's always there's always a hesitation, Like, will this be the one where they know that I'm crazy? Uh, but I, I think that uh, I think I'm not too worried about that now. We know the audience is there. We know they want more voices
1: and more representation.
2: And so it's just a question of making sure they know what's happening.
1: So do you think we're at a point now where if you're going to a major publisher and you want to pitch them a story and say that I have a character who's a, not an anti-hero, but a hero who's a bisexual man and you should make this comic, they're going to say, oh, uh, uh, or they're going to say, okay, tell me more.
2: Um, I think that any good publisher is going to say okay but what else is there about him uh, and, and that is not a pejorative statement they're because we're past the idea we're just saying this guy's gay this guy's bisexual uh this this person is trans uh, is the cell uh, you know we we've done better than that we've created characters that are more than that and that are more layered than that so i think that they're not going to be afraid of it in any way and they're going to want to know what's more in fact they're going to want to know who the character is, because that's not enough right, any, anymore. And because we've, the, we've given people, um, I, since I started doing press for, for Midnighter, it's this whole idea, we, we, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people got characters. Now they get characters. And so we're there. And so I think any publisher worth their salt is going to say, okay, like this person is bisexual, great. Now what's his deal? Uh, whereas before they would have been like, okay, I see what this book is going to be. Uh, their view of what a queer-themed book can be uh, has been has, has matured uh, as the audience uh, as the audience has rewarded the risks that they're taking. So I, I think, yeah, it's it, it, it's just one piece of a character you're pitching to a company now, uh, which is a huge step forward because that is how we want to be viewed in the community. You know, uh, I don't want people to, you know, something there's more amazing being bisexual. I also like weird foods, uh, and really, i really like, sort of like labor over my dog hair being all over the apartment. Like, there's there's plenty to me, and so like, um, I think cultures are, have shown that that type of layered, rich presentation is rewarded, and 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 they think uh, on a very cause and effect basis. So yeah, you the, the, no one should be. Worried about pitching that type of content anymore. In fact, they should be ready to answer what's next about characters.
1: That's great. That's great. I mean, I'm still waiting on there to be a lead who's not an anti-hero but uh something that eventually we will have sooner than later. And I think people recognize too that there's a huge audience look, like looking to embrace that. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I think it'll all happen. I mean. It's it's all about what gets, you know, what gets support, what, what, is, what is really received and, and embraced by, by the readership. So uh, I think that it's only a matter of time. And, and like this past year, has seen huge steps when it comes to diversity in the industry, but they're in the grand scheme of things, they're baby steps. And there's a ton more work to do. Uh, and uh, it's all moving in the right direction. We just have to keep pushing it and sort of kick, kicking it in the ass, and so uh, that's work that we're all responsible for, uh, for better or worse, on all sides of the comics community, uh, but it's certainly happening. It's going to keep moving in the right direction.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Um, do we want to do our wrap-up?
0: Yeah, we're we're kind of at our, uh, an hour moment, a whole lot of his time. Um so for folks who want to follow you or uh, connect with you, we're they.
2: Where should they? They should probably get me on Twitter at the Steve Orlando, which is the best place to contact me uh, or my website, which is also dot Orlando.com. So uh, those are definitely the places to go and I'm easy to find it's my name with a in front of it.
0: Awesome. easy to figure out nice and inconsistent yeah uh well appreciate you coming on we, we, you know i think we both loved virgil and uh hope it uh finds the audience it deserves so and of course we're huge fans of a certain other book that maybe we we'll another show on down the road um I so uh, yeah, we'll we'll set that up and then go through the proper channels on that one uh so for folks who want the book uh, are interested in Virgil that we've sold you on it. Uh, you're going to want to go to your comic shops uh, by Monday, is when orders are due. Uh, make sure that you would like it, pre order it. Uh, it's one of the best ways to show off demand and interest in a comic. Uh, Steve, really appreciate you coming on uh, the show, and we'll definitely have you on at some point.
2: It is always a pleasure, guys. All
0: right, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, happy birthday. By uh, way. We. we about, what, 45 minutes away oh, wow. from it? Oh,
2: Jesus, so don't we... tell
0: me that. <laughs> Dude, I'm closer to 40, believe it or not. We met in San Diego. I'm sure you, you wouldn't believe that, but I'm much, uh, way. I think, well over, uh, older than you. I don't
2: want to, yeah, we, let's not talk
0: about
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a dark day
0: tomorrow. I... Aw. <laughs> we'll figure out ways to, to lighten it up and uh, make you happy.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, you, you've done a great job. I mean, just having me on—it's uh, always exciting. And you guys have been supporters from the beginning, so I do truly, really, I do really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we're happy to, man. You know, we love we love your work, and uh, uh, you do great stuff. And yeah, I mean, we support people we really, really like clearly. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll absolutely have you again, will we'll hit you up afterwards uh, about going about setting that up. So, thank you, and uh, uh, thanks for coming on for the show. Uh, right on, so again, yeah. for f- yep. All right. So for folks who are interested in the uh, comic, again, go to your comic store. You've got until Monday to pre-order it. Um, uh, email them, call them if you can't make it. Tell them you want Virgil by Steve Orlando, uh, is the writer. It's from Image Comics, out in September. Um, and you'll make sure to have a copy in your hand. Uh, pre-orders are vital for those who don't know how the industry works. They're, they're huge. Uh, so yeah, and Alana, we have another guest this coming Monday. Uh, would you like to tell folks, on, uh, since you helped set it up.
1: Yeah. Oh, sure. We have Jeremy Whitley! Woo! He's been on the show before. He's the creator of Princeless, um, which is the comic that everyone is reading and everyone is making their children read and all the other children are also reading. And he is also writing a new issue of um, *In Secret Wars*, of a new romance comic, featuring, um, featuring uh, Iron Fist and Misty Knight in a romance story, *Secret Wars: colon, Secret Love*, Volume One. Um, so we'll be hearing him talk about that as well as getting updated on the new Principles book, which is coming out on Wednesday.
0: Yes, Uh, and I think the comic is actually out next week as well, so he's Mm getting a two Mm -hmm. for hitting the shelves. Um, So, yeah, you should definitely check that out, Secret War, Secret Love with Jeremy Whitley. He'll be here Monday at our regular time. Uh, So for folks who maybe came in late and want to catch... The show in its entirety or go back and listen to some stuff because I know I got educated on this. Uh, We're going to, of course, have the show up on our site, graphicpolicy.com, tomorrow. Um, It will be in iTunes probably. I don't know how quickly it uploads to iTunes, but pretty damn quick uh, after the show wraps up. Uh, of course we'll also have it on stitcher and soundcloud our usual places and of course the website we'll also have more info uh on how you can help steve and make sure you get or uh virgil in your hands i was about to say orlando in your hands uh virtual in your hands uh for when it comes out in september um so yeah anything else you want to talk about is uh the time wraps down nope <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> All right. uh, So thanks for listening. Uh, This is Graphic Policy Radio. Of course, you can find us at graphicpolicy.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. All at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. So until next time at our normal day and our normal hour, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And you can keep it geeky.